Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, as Jay mentioned, my name is David, and I want to thank Jay for affording me the opportunity here this morning to present this morning's Advent message. Uh, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Yeah, one, two, three, four. Yeah, fourth Sunday. <laughs> and Advent is a time of both longing and hope. It's a time of the year when we contemplate why Jesus came in the first place and also why we long so desperately for his return. It's a, it stands as an annual reminder to us not to ignore or placate the brokenness that we see in the world around us or even within ourselves, but to face it head on, knowing that our Creator and Redeemer has come to make all things new. And so, until that day, though, we watch and we wait with all of creation as heaven and nature sing about the coming of, the, of earth's true King, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, today marks the third installment in our Advent series, and it has been titled, Heaven and Nature Sing. Now, if those words sound familiar to you, it's because they come from the last line of the first verse of Isaac Watts' timeless hymn, Joy to the World. Now, as I have shared with many of you before, Isaac Watts actually did not write that song to be a Christmas hymn. Uh, Watts was a Puritan, and as some of you may know, the Puritans did not celebrate Christmas or any other holiday for that matter, not even Easter. Uh, and their rationale was that they, they were opposed to setting aside one day a year to commemorate something that, as far as they were concerned, we should be celebrating every day. And while I agree with the premise, you know, that we should be celebrating those things daily and not just daily, I disagree with their conclusion that we should, you know, the conclusion that we should, be, should not be setting aside, you know, an annual holiday to commemorate something that we should be celebrating daily. Uh, help, because hop, holidays are helpful reminders to us, you know, to, to celebrate what God has done for us. You know, the Jewish people had their annual feasts, you know, Passover, Pentecost, first fruits, so on and so forth, as a reminder to them of what God had done for them. And so we have holidays to remind us of what God has done for us, and we celebrate those things. And now, as I mentioned, write Joy to the World as a Christmas hymn. He actually wrote it in anticipation of the Lord's second coming from Psalm 98. And, but <clears throat> the things that Watts wrote about in that hymn were true, are true and were true, not only of the Lord's second coming, but of his first coming as well. So, and that's why we've kind of appropriated it as a Christmas hymn, because we can sing joy to the world because the Lord has come. Now, many of the things that Watts wrote about in that hymn have not been consummated yet, but because of what Jesus accomplished in his first coming to earth, 
we can consider them to be as good as done. Now, in her book, Heaven and Nature Sing, Hannah Anderson unpacks some of the themes of Advent that are found in Watts' timeless hymn. We've been examining one of these themes each week in our series by exploring some of the ways that God has embedded his promises into the world around us as signposts uh, that direct our attention to Jesus and the good news that he is and will be our Emmanuel, God with us, now and forever. Now, today's theme is joy, and our text is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. So, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to that text. If you're using one of the Bibles underneath the chair in front of you, you will find it on page 716, or I know some of you probably just pull it up on your phone, but however you read it, our text is found in Luke chapter 2. Now, we know that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem 40 days prior, and Luke tells us in verse 22 of, of chapter 2 that when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, and we'll pick up the text in verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple, into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, I would like to see by a show of hands how many of you have ever seen the movie The Ten Commandments? Quite a few of you. Is there anyone who hasn't seen it? <laughs> Yeah, it's, <laughs> well, you've been living under a rock or something? <laughs> it's, it's a major classic, and in, in fact, it's shown on the ABC television network every year around Passover or Easter. In fact, it's one of only two classic movies that gets an annual showing on network television, the other being The Sound of Music. Now, personally, I prefer watching it on DVD because if you're watching it on network television, it's actually the Ten Commandments in a thousand commercials. <clears throat> now, what you may not know about the movie, though, some of you are wondering, what does the Ten Commandments have to do with Christmas? What you may not know about that film is that it was actually a remake of an old 1923 silent epic by the same director, Cecil B. DeMille. 
the original film was actually considered DeMille's masterpiece, and he spent the rest of his career trying to top it, his last attempt being the 1956 remake, the one with Charlton Heston and, and all those guys. One of his earliest attempts at topping it, though, was also an old biblical epic from the silent era. From 1927, it was a movie called The King of Kings. And as you can imagine, you know, based on the title, it was based on the life of Christ. And I remember reading in DeMille's autobiography one time about the filming of that movie, and they actually finished filming the crucifixion scene on Christmas Eve of 1926. And at the end of the day's shooting, everybody was exhausted and they were ready to go home to their families and spend Christmas with their families. But before he dismissed them for the day, DeMille called everybody together on the set and he said, now, I know some of you, maybe most of you, are probably wondering, what does that bald-headed old coot want now? And he, <clears throat> he said, this evening when you go home to your families, and tomorrow when you celebrate Christmas with them, I want you to think about the scene that we've just finished filming here today. He pointed to the cross that was standing on the set, and he said, this is what Christmas is all about, because this is actually why Jesus was born. He was born in Bethlehem in order to go to a cross to pay for the sins of the world. Now, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to Jerusalem to perform the purification rites that were required by the Mosaic law and to present him to the Lord, they already knew that he would bring salvation to his people. After all, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and announced to her you know, that she would give birth to a son, you know, she told him that he would, she would call him Jesus, and he told her that he would be great and would be called the Son of the Most High, that the Lord God would give him the throne of his father David, and that he would reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and that his kingdom would never end. Now, in the same manner, when an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, to take Mary home as his wife, because the child that was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit, he said, you know, she shall, she shall bear you a son, and you will call his name Jesus, which literally means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. So Mary and Joseph already knew that Jesus would bring salvation to his people. What they probably didn't know, though, was how he would accomplish all of this. So in comes a guy by the name of Simeon. And I keep losing my place in my notes here. <laughs> so when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple courts, they encountered a man there by the name of Simeon. What do we know about Simeon? The text doesn't tell us a whole lot, but it does tell us that he was righteous and devout and that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, we don't know how old Simeon was, but we kind of surmise from the fact that the text tells us that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit 
that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, we kind of surmise you know, or infer from that that he was an old man. And this old man, he took Jesus in his arms and he pr- praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So at this point, Simeon was prepared to die. These notes are not cooperating with me at all. (laughs) Okay, here we go. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So Simeon announces the truth that he is holding in his arms God's salvation for all peoples. Salvation isn't just for the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham. It's the Gentiles are included too. That means us, you and me. Now, I've never done one of those, you know, 23andMe tests or one of those DNA tests that, you know, from Ancestry, but I'm pretty sure I'm not Jewish. Uh, My family background, I think, is English and Irish with a little bit of Scottish thrown in. But, oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Gary. I was getting kind of tired of that, too. Fellow Buckeye. <laughs> so, so I'm not I'm not Jewish, but you know what? It doesn't matter because the salvation that God had prepared in the sight of all peoples is a light for the, of revelation for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And now, as I said, Simeon is content to die because he is now holding this salvation the one thing that he's been waiting for his whole life in his arms in the form of a baby. But Simeon didn't only speak of salvation. He spoke of suffering as well. And he said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Salvation would come at a cost. And this baby that Simeon was holding in his arms would be the one who would pay that cost. He would cause many to fall and others to rise. He would reveal humanity's deepest secrets and true attitudes toward God. He would be opposed verbally and one day his mother's soul would be torn apart emotionally. Simeon, in effect, tells Mary, one day your heart will break because of this child. He doesn't tell Mary what will happen. In fact, he may not even have known himself, but he does tell her how it will feel. Now, Mary probably didn't understand what Simeon was saying at the time, but she probably never forgot it. And she would come to understand 
she would come to understand it 30-some-odd years later when her, when her son, who as a baby had lain in Simeon's arms, was hung from a cruel Roman cross. Now, we think of the cross as a symbol of Good Friday and Easter, and it is, but as Alistair Begg points out, unless you understand the events of Easter, you'll never grasp the heart of Christmas. Simeon understood that, which is why he pointed forward to Good Friday, even as he welcomed the baby at the center of Christmas. Simeon is pointing us to how God redeemed his people. Now, at this point, some of you are probably thinking, David, I thought you said the theme of this morning's message was joy. What does all this have to do with joy? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he admonishes us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, folks, the good news that we proclaim this morning, the good news of Christmas, is that the sovereign God and creator of the universe left heaven and came to earth as a baby, knowing that his destiny was a cruel Roman cross outside Jerusalem. And he did it because of the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? Simeon tells us in Luke chapter 2, it was the salvation that God had prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of his people Israel. Now at Christmas time, we often deck the halls with boughs of holly. You know, fa la 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 In fact, in that, yeah, <laughs> I would just watch that last night. The, um, in fact, we have holly, you know, woven into all the wreaths that are decorating the sanctuary as well as lining the, you know, the front of the platform here. But how many of you know what the holly represents? I know I didn't. In fact, I really hadn't even thought too much about it. I just thought, you know, it's red and it's green. It's the colors of Christmas. I did not know this until Jay shared with me uh, this excerpt from Hannah Anderson's book, which I'll share with you now. She writes, Chris Christians have sometimes... Let me untie my tongue here. Today's not going very well for me, is it? <laughs> She writes, Christians have seen something dark hidden in the thorny leaves and red berries of the holly tree. They saw something of its piercing nature. They saw in it a crown of thorns, spilled blood, and life after death. Known in some languages as the Christ thorn, holly became for them a symbol of Christ's suffering for the world. And so it makes it all the more fitting that we use holly as a Christmas decoration, does it not? So how will we respond to this good news? Again, as Hannah, as Hannah Anderson writes, like Mary, we too are called into the suffering of Jesus. 
to bear witness with the world as it groans for redemption, to proclaim that the blood of the Savior is the only thing that can turn back the thorns, to know that if we follow in his steps, we will find our own hearts pierced as well. Child in the manger, infant of Mary, outcast and stranger, Lord of all, child who inherits all our transgressions, all our demerits on him fall. Once the most holy child of salvation, gentle and lowly, live below. Now as our glorious, mighty Redeemer, see him victorious o'er each foe. Prophets foretold him, infant of wonder. Angels behold him on his throne. Worthy our Savior of all our praises, happy forever are his own. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time of year that you have given to us to remind us to commemorate your birth, which in turn leads us to the events of Passion Week when you knowingly and willingly came to earth knowing that your destiny was the cruel cross of Calvary. And as an, uh, as an old song says, if that isn't love, the ocean is dry. If that isn't love, there are no stars in the sky. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this if that isn't love. We thank you for your love, and we want to receive it this morning. We want to receive your gift of redemption and salvation, which you were born into the world to provide for us by taking the sins of the world onto yourself. We, and we want to commemorate that not only at Easter, but even at Christmas, every day of the year. Thank you for reminding us. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.